Well, Pastor Danielle launched the series last week on freedom and did a great job with that. And our key verse is from Galatians 5 and verse 1. And I'm reading from the Passion Translation where the Apostle Paul is speaking to the church at Galatia who are getting caught up in all sorts of legalism and going back into bondage, the bondage that legalism brings. And he says, let me be clear. Christ has set us free, not partially, but completely and wonderfully free. We must always cherish this truth and stubbornly refuse to go back into the bondage of our past. What a great declaration that is, that Jesus has set us free, not partially, but completely and wonderfully free. And we need to stand in that freedom. We need to live in that freedom. And I just want to talk to the topic today of why do we need freedom? And, and kind of it's a, a, almost a nonsense title except to just latch something on. We're not talking about political freedom because in the New Testament, there were people that were not politically free, but yet lived in freedom in Christ. And I'm thankful for all the political freedoms we have in our society. I'm glad we don't live in the dictatorship or something like that. I'm thankful for it. So I'm not dismissing that. But real freedom is not found in the circumstance, but in the person of Jesus Christ. He's the one that has set us free. But we need to understand there's a fight around that freedom because our lives are played out, yes, in the natural world and the circumstances, but it's also, it's a spiritual realm and there's a battle going on there. And many believers live almost oblivious to the spiritual battle and that the devil is actually trying to rob you, defeat you, tie you up in knots uh, and take away the freedom that you have found in Christ. I'm going to touch down in the book of Ephesians and Ephesians 6 where Paul talks about taking on the full armour of God. But in getting to that, Ephesians in the broader sense is divided into two primary sections. Ephesians 1 to 3, chapters 1 to 3 and then chapters 4 to 6. In the first three chapters, Paul teaches us about our position in Christ. There's other things he says, but it's his key thought. You need to know who you are in Christ. For example, look at Ephesians 2, verse 4 to 6. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And now here's the kicker. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. That's your position. Somebody who's been forgiven, somebody upon whom God has poured out extraordinary grace, mercy, compassion, forgiveness, cleansing, and then he's lifted us up into a spiritual position of authority where we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. The challenge is we've got to live life on earth as well. We're not just sitting up there. No, we, 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 that's our position, a position of authority where Jesus is King of Kings, Lord of Lords, all things under his feet, every foe defeated. But here on planet earth, we're still working that out. But you your position in Christ is one seated in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. 
There are 41 commands in the book of Ephesians, but only one command that is found in the first three chapters. When I say command, we're not talking about laws, commandments, but exhortations, do this, don't do this kind of thing. And that's quite astonishing. But you know what the one command in the first three chapters is? Is anchored by the word remember. Therefore, remember that formerly, just cast your mind back before you came to Jesus, what was your life like? Remember what you were formerly. And then immediately he says, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, without hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ. And he says the whole three chapters are tied to our position, the forgiveness. Every, he says you need to remember where you were, but remember who you are in Christ. And that is such a powerful thing to begin to love. Who am I in Christ? What has Christ done in my life? What is he doing in my life? And the rest of the 40 commands, injunctions, go in the practical outworking of how do you live out on planet earth who you are in Christ seated in heavenly places in chapters four to six he teaches us what we need to do and he introduces us with this phrase to live a life worthy of who you are in Christ Jesus Ephesians 4 verse 1 I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received and then he talks in the next two chapters about how we live in unity with each other, using gifts and talents and abilities to build up the body of Christ, to be a part of a vibrant church, to use those gifts to serve one another. He talks about in the next few chapters about walking in purity and and God by his power cleaning up your life as you wrestle with different things. He talks about being filled with the Spirit and allowing the wisdom of God and the leading of the Holy Spirit to overflow in your life. And then finally, there is this call to walk in victory by engaging in spiritual warfare. And it's not just about having prayer meetings and rebuking and binding the devil and that's not. There is a way to engage in spiritual warfare. But in order to live in the place of victory of who you are in Christ, you can't be passive. You've got to engage. And that's what the, the spiritual battle is about. And we're going to look at that thought and those passages today. So Ephesians 6 and verse 10, and it follows from that. Finally, be strong in the Lord. Now, now let's just start up up front. You're not meant to be strong in yourself. And so that right now, if you are feeling weak and vulnerable and hurting, It's not like you've got to be the strong one. You can come with that brokenness. You can come with that weakness. You can come with that vulnerability and say, Lord, I need your strength in this situation. God wants you to be strong. God wants you to overcome. But it's not about what you can do. It's about what he can do in you and then through you and for you. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now, we're not here in any way to glorify the devil. He's already a defeated foe through the power of the cross. 
Jesus defeated him. But we're still in a battle on planet Earth. And he says, you need to understand that the devil has some schemes that he's worked out against you. Some trigger things where he knows if he does that, he can get you going off in a tailspin. If you do that, he can get you to do that. He's got some schemes. Somebody said that he's the greatest psychologist on the planet, but using it all for evil. He studied human nature for thousands and thousands of years. He understands how we tick. He's not God. He's not all-knowing. He's not all-powerful. He's defeated, but he wants to mess with your life and he wants to bring you back into bondage. And so he's got schemes. And the whole point of putting on the armor of God and being strong in the Lord is that you can take your stand against what he's trying to do in your life. And I want to encourage you not to get weird on this, but to simply ask the Holy Spirit, can you just reveal to me the patterns of behavior where the enemy has got a trigger point and he just puts me into that circumstance and suddenly my head goes here, my emotions go there, I feel this... For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. But remember, when he talks about these powers, these demonic powers in heavenly realms, you are seated with Christ in heavenly places, in a position of authority. Remember that when you engage in the battle. Sooner or later, every single follower of Jesus discovers that the Christian life is a battleground, not a playground. It's a battleground. And we just need to understand, and again, I don't want to magnify what the enemy does, but just understand, things are going to happen. The devil will try to stop you from following Jesus at his best attack or just mess up your life so where you're no longer living in the victory. And we go through these seasons of battle. Not everything is an attack of the enemy. If the oil light is flashing on your car, get it fixed. And don't say when it broke down, it was an attack of the enemy. No, it was just an attack of stupidity. Just trying to make a point here. Hope nobody's living that experience right now. But you can come out for prayer and pray, and we'll pray for you anyway. <laughs> you can be in Christ, and what I mean by that: forgiven, cleansed, your eternal destiny secured, and still live in bondage. Still live struggling with sin, which we will struggle with to the end of our days. But I'm talking about being overwhelmed by it. You, you can be in Christ and still live with a profound sense of shame rather than finding the freedom of forgiveness and the acceptance that is extended to you in Christ. You can be in Christ and still live with guilt. You can be in Christ and still live with unforgiveness tearing at your heart and life. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul is talking to Timothy pastorally about some people who've gone astray, that they're still Christians, they still, God still loves them, Jesus still forgives them. But he says they've become opponents, not just of others, but of themselves. And listen to what he says, opponents 
must be gently instructed in the hope that God would grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who's taken them captive to do his will. Now, I just want you to see something here. He's speaking to people who are forgiven, who are cleansed, who have their eternal destiny secured. But some or other, through wrong thinking, wrong attitudes, they now are captured. They're in some kind of bondage to the devil. Now, our fight is not against them. We don't, you know. And he says, how do you, what do you need to do with those people? To me? He says, you need to be gentle with them. You, you need to open the word of God and instruct them of who they are in Christ. I'm putting the sense of it in there. You, you need to show them some of the promises of God. You need to help them so that they can come to repentance. And the primary meaning behind the Greek word repentance in the New Testament is to change your thinking. It's to turn your thinking around. That you, you, you were facing this way because you were thinking that's the right direction. But now... Your GPS is said you've missed the turn and redirecting you, and then you turn and follow the right direction. When Katie shared about maps and the Gregories and all of that, and you be something, I forget it was, Linda and I had some horrendous moments. I mean, don't love me, some of you are the same. It was almost grounds for separation. You're just joking. And so when finally I got a, a GPS, I selected a woman's voice and she asked me why. And I said, I wanted a nice lady telling me where to go. <laughs> and fortunately she found that funny. Otherwise, they, anyway, I do, I need to keep moving, don't I? <laughs> but the knowledge of the truth so that they can come to their senses and escape from the trap these are believers he's talking about, but somehow they trap because of wrong thinking, wrong perspective, not realizing fully who they are in Christ. And he says, yeah, you, but you can get them out of the trap because as long as they're in the trap, the enemy is manipulating. He has a will that he's trying to exercise over your life. We didn't understand our battle. Paul kind of explains this in the beginning of Ephesians chapter two. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the rule of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who now works in those who are disobedient. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on this, but this is the battlefield. The battlefield is a triple alliance, somebody said. The world, the flesh, the devil and the enemy around us trying to do things. And he uses those three things, sin, the ways of the world, and then his direct attack on our lives at times. So this triple thing that the enemy does. And right now in our society, and it's always been the case, but it seems slightly heightened, the ways of the world are crashing in and all sorts of things are being torn apart and attacked in different ways. And it flows on into us. But then there's the, not just those big things, individually. You and I have to decide, am I gonna follow the way of Jesus or am I gonna follow the way of sin? 
the way of the world? Am I going to confess my sin and get forgiven and, and, and strengthened in righteousness? Or am I going to indulge it? Am I going to fight the spiritual battle against the prince of the power of the air? Or am I just going to let him manipulate my life? There's an enemy around us, an enemy within us, and the enemy above us. When the Bible talks about the flesh or the old man, it's talking about our carnal nature. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that next week, about the whole issue of God's divine order of us living out of our spirit as the control center that then manages our mind, will, and emotions and that our bodies submit to the purposes of God. Whereas the world says, indulge your body, do whatever you want and forget the rest. By his death and resurrection, Jesus overcame the world, the flesh and the devil. And Paul says this is declaration in 1 Corinthians 15, which is the resurrection chapter. He says, thanks be to God who gives us the victory, making us conquerors through our Lord Jesus Christ. When you learn to live in Christ and who you are in Christ, and that testimony that was shared from Christine Kane is so powerful about that, that Pastor Kato reminded us of this morning, you begin to learn how to live in victory. But there's a battle involved. And so Paul says, put on the full armour of God. As believers, we don't fight for the victory we fight from a place of victory. He's already given us the victory. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit empowers us and enables us to live in that victory. So how do we live in that victory? We need to rely on God's victorious power. And it means we cannot afford to be passive Christians. When stuff begins to happen, you've got to put on the armour of God and you've got to go to battle against the stuff that's going on. And it's not always easy. And sometimes it takes a while to realise, man, I really am in a battle because it just seems to drift for a while and, you know, the enemy's manipulative and he doesn't always reveal his hand, but he always overcompensates. Paul insists that to win the battle... You've got to take responsibility for your life. In Ephesians 6, verse 10 and 11, finally be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And so I'm just going to go through quite briefly the full armor of God. And I just want to acknowledge Nicky Gumbel and the amazing work. This, is, this part of the outline comes from him and I've just refreshed it for myself. But I just thought it was so brilliant the way he handled it. And if you follow his devotional reading, you might have come across this. The first thing he says, in order to stand, in order to stand in a place of victory, in order to overcome in the battle, stand as who you are in Christ, but you need to do a few things. You've got to put on the armour of God. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. You see, you'll never get victory if you're not living in the truth that comes out of God's word. Can't do this battle just with clever thinking. Devil will outsmart you every single time. You've got to come back to the authority of God's word, God's promises, who you are in Christ. 
focus first and foremost on truth in your heart. God does not expect you and I to be perfect, but he does insist that we are completely honest with him. I want you to catch that. God does not expect you and I to be perfect. In fact, he knows you're not, we're not. We're gonna make mistakes. We're gonna sin and get things wrong. He doesn't expect us to be perfect, but he does insist that when we come to him, we're honest. David, after his sin, and you can read the great Psalm 51, his confession makes this declaration. Behold, you desire truth in the inner being, in my heart. Therefore, make me to know wisdom in my innermost heart. David knows, God, I've just got to come honest. I've got to come real. I've got to just tell you everything and acknowledge what I've got wrong in my life. I want truth on the inside. It's not about making excuses or justifying sin or anything. It's just about being honest. God does not expect you to be perfect, but he insists on you being honest. We need to focus on the truth of who Jesus is and the central teachings of Scripture. And that's why we are told to grow in the knowledge of God. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. See, it's not just, well, I heard truth and now I'm free. I mean, that, that was quite a, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to watch that back on camera. <laughs> But he says, if you hold to my teaching, you've got to hold to it. You're really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth begins to set you free. When you start working that truth in and through your life. Truth is a person, it's not an ideology. And you find truth as you build your relationship with Jesus. Paul says in Ephesians, speaking about certain behaviors. And he says, but that's not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. I love that phrase. He's going, Ephesians, some of what you're doing there, that's not the way you learned Christ. It almost sounds like bad grammar, but he's talking about learning, engaging with the person of Jesus Christ in your relationship. And he said, you need to hold to the truth as it is in Jesus. Again, continue coming back because the Bible reveals Jesus, Old Testament and New Testament. The second bit of equipment we need is to stand firm then with a breastplate of righteousness in place. And simply what I think is exhorted there is to keep short accounts with God. Jesus died so that we might receive his righteousness. He's not talking about us crafting a breastplate of righteousness. Well, look at my righteousness, I'm doing pretty good. I haven't messed up too much this week. It's not about us. Our righteousness is as filthy rags in his sight. It's about taking the gift of righteousness. The Bible teaches over and over again, Jesus imputed, he gives it to us. We are in a right standing with God because of what Jesus did. So when you fall, when you mess up, when you sin, get up quickly. 
run back to God. That the devil say, oh, you failed. He won't love you. He won't forgive you. What a lie. Run to him. He's a God who's rich in mercy, who delights in forgiving people. And so we need to keep in a right relationship both with God and with others. In 1 John 1 and verse 7, it says, if we walk in the light, the light of God's word, the light of our relationship with Jesus, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Oh, you notice this whole thing of walking in the light, of being honest and real about who we are, what we got wrong, whether it's against people or against God. See, if we walk in the light, that's when we clean up stuff between us. And at the same time, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So we need to have that belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. And then he says, stand firm with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Get actively involved. Again, the greatest exhortation is in the spiritual battle, this fight to outlive your freedom. You've got it in Christ, but you've got to outlive it. Don't be passive. Get involved. But I would say that Paul is extending that to a greater thing. Don't be passive in church life. Get involved where you can. Do something that asks you to participate. And it's not just about, oh, we got some stuff done. Yeah, we did. That's great. We're able to serve people here, there, and, and all sorts of things. But in the participation, there's friendship, there's encouragement, there's problems that have to be worked through. But that's where you grow up. Get involved. Get actively involved. Because he talks about having your feet shot or fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel. I'm ready to serve. I'm ready to worship. I'm ready to pray. I'm ready to praise. I'm ready to help somebody. I've got my feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. I'm a ready Christian, ready to serve. Because we're representing Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And wherever you go as a follower of Jesus, you're an ambassador for him. On your good days, your bad days, in the workplace with the neighbours, you're an ambassador. You're representing the kingdom of God. And we don't get that right all the time. Well, I don't. How about you? Maybe you were a perfect ambassador. So, belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. I'm ready to serve. I'm ready to worship, ready to pray. The fourth one is stand firm them and take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Critical picture that Paul plays here and in ancient battles, one of the worst things they could do, a lot of terrible things, it was actually shoot flaming arrows, arrows with tar on them. So they struck you. It's not just the impact of the arrow wound, it's now fire. 
and to try and get it out, you drop your shield, of, your shield. You become more vulnerable in the battle. But he says faith, simple trust in Jesus, which is the first and foremost concept of faith, quenches the fiery arrows of the enemy. So we need to stand firm in difficult times. Thoughts, feelings, imaginations, false guilt, shame, doubt, disobedience, malice, all these lies that the enemy hurls against us, the shield of faith based on the promises of God quenches them. There's a battle involved. Faith turns everything back that the enemy seeks to throw at you. I love this. Jenny Gilpin highlighted this for us a few Sundays ago, and I'd never seen this thought before. Psalm 34, verse 4, following says, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Then it goes on to say, this poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. And I love what she said. The thing that God wants to deliver you and I from first is a fear before he delivers us from the circumstance. And if you're delivered from the fear in your circumstance, you're more likely to be delivered from your circumstance. And I thought, what an insight. Thank you, Jenny. The fifth thing, I need to keep moving. Win the battle in the mind. Stand firm them and put on the helmet of salvation. A lot of this battle is won or lost in our minds. And we need to renew our minds. In 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5, Paul says, Take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. And it's that discipline. God, my mind is racing all over. There's these vain images. I need to take the sword and bring it, kicking and screaming into the presence of Jesus. And that takes some effort sometimes. And then our minds go screaming off again. No, Jesus, I, I need this thought. I want to bring it captive to you again. Christians must think differently. And that's why the authority of God's word is so powerful. Put off your old self, Paul says in Ephesians, and be made new in the attitude of your minds and put on the new self. So there's this thing going on. I need to put that off so I can put this on. Number six, there's only 20 of these. No, we're, we're, landing wheels are down. The next thing is stand firm then and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This is your sword. Every other piece of armor is defensive. It protects you. This is your weapon to deal with things. The promises of God, the declarations of God over your life, the sword of the Spirit. Take the sword. If you want to stand firm, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Use God's Word when you're under attack. Jesus, when tempted in the wilderness by the enemy, kept saying, it is written, it is written. And he defeated the enemy, not by arguing with him, but by declaring to him, now God says this, and man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And the final thing he says, stand firm then, stand firm then, pray in the spirit on all occasions that can be translated in all seasons. In Canberra, we get all the seasons. In life, we go through seasons. 
on all occasions, in all seasons, with all kinds of prayers and requests. Just come before God. And I love it, it's all kinds. Some of the best kind of request in a moment of crisis is literally what Peter did. Lord, help me! doesn't have to be eloquent. He doesn't say, oh, come with your finely fashioned prayers. He says all kinds of prayers. Prayers of desperation, prayers that are filled with thanksgiving, prayers that have more detail to it. But it's also praying in the Holy Spirit. And I want to encourage you, if you're not baptised in the Holy Spirit and haven't yet discovered the wonderful prayer language of speaking in tongues, that private, personal prayer language. We did a series on this just a little bit early this year. You can... Look it on YouTube. It's one of the things that you begin to pray in the Spirit, you build yourself up. And the Bible says when you don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit prays through you. But prayer is just acknowledgement. God, I can't do this by myself. I need help. Whether you've used promises and eloquent prayers or it's just the desperate, oh God, help me. Pray. Keep inviting Jesus into your circumstance, putting on the full armour of God.